0: Please turn with me in the Bible to Mark chapter 1. We've been going through Mark for the last few weeks, and we've gotten all the way to verse 21 of chapter 1. Today we're looking at Mark 21, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. Let's begin by reading God's word. Hear God's word. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Mark's gospel is about this person of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, who is this Jesus? So as we look at this passage, we need to be asking in our mind, who is this Jesus who can even cast out an unclean spirit, who can teach with authority, who can by the touch of a hand heal a woman of sickness? We're gonna see today Jesus is a teacher and Jesus is a servant. He's a teacher and he's a servant. Now, Mark likes to structure his gospel by geography. In fact, the three main sections in the gospel are divided by geography. He's in the Galilee section right now. Specifically, he has a day and a night and a morning in Capernaum. And that's where we are right now. Next week, the message will be on the morning in Capernaum. Today, we're looking at the day and the night in Capernaum. We're going to look at this in three parts. Jesus in the synagogue where he's teaching and cast out the unclean demon. We're then going to look at Jesus in the house, and then we're going to look at what it means to understand Jesus. Jesus in the synagogue, Jesus in the house, and understanding Jesus. Here Jesus comes into the synagogue. The scribes would invite various people to come and to teach in the synagogue, and so Jesus was one of those who on the Sabbath came and was teaching in the synagogue. The teaching aspect is emphasized really strongly here. Mark uses the word teaching four times in this, in this paragraph. He's teaching, he's teaching, he taught. They were amazed at his teaching. It's all about Jesus' teaching in this section. And the word that is described, or that is used to describe his teaching is, one, having authority. Jesus teaches as one having authority, and then it seems like Mark throws in a little uh, insult against the scribes, saying he teaches as one with authority, not like the scribes. But actually, Mark is not so much dissing the scribes as he is really exalting what Jesus was doing. After all, these scribes were students of the law of God, and they were expositors of his word. Sure, maybe to some extent, too much the traditions of men as well. But Jesus wasn't like them. As Jesus opens Scripture and reads Scripture, it talks about Jesus. None of the scribes had that advantage. Jesus is the one who writes Scripture. He is the incarnate Word of God. And so he has this authority that the scribes do not have. He probably came in and seemed in some ways like a scribe. He was invited by the scribes. He was expositing the daily readings from the law and the prophets. And yet there are times that we see Jesus's words. Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus says, but we see in other places that Jesus's words claim an authority. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not do this, but I say to you, don't even do this. He's claiming an authority over the teaching that these people were used to. And we know that he was teaching about the kingdom of God. That was his focus. That was his ministry. Mark tells us in 115, Jesus was saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So as he was preaching through the Old Testament and teaching the law and the prophets, he was emphasizing the kingdom of God, bringing an urgency to this message that these people had heard for so long, yet now seems to be more important. We know from other texts in Mark, he taught about the Sabbath. He taught about purity laws. He taught about how to pray. He taught about the seriousness of sin. He talked about the heart of the law. He talked about the love of the Father. He talked about the invaluable treasure that is the kingdom of God and so much more. And then, as Jesus is teaching, Mark tells us here in verse 23, Mark says, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, there's an interruption to this authoritative teaching. Now, Mark uses this word immediately. He's used it quite a bit. I don't know if you've noticed it so far. This word immediately, he uses it 41 times in his book. And I am... Um, I, I think there's a more helpful way to say what Mark intended by this word. Immediately, to you and me, means zero time passes. This word that Mark uses really has an implication of, and next, with connection. So this happened, but then next connected to it is this. So out of that, or next came, Whereas a kid tries to tell a story, says, and then, and then, and then, and then. Mark's excited. He's getting into the details of of who Jesus is. And so this immediately is really his way of saying, and then this. And so we see this throughout the book. Mark really picking up the pace of the story, pulling us along, keeping our interest, and then, and then, and then. So Jesus is teaching with authority, and then here comes a man with an unclean spirit. An unclean spirit is synonymous with a demon in the book of Mark and in other Jewish writings. And in our 21st century world, people would say, obviously, demons aren't real. But we believe otherwise. We know that demons are real. We know that forces of Satan are real. They do the bidding of the evil one. We're told in other places, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the forces of darkness. But for Christians, we cannot be afraid of this. We have no need to be afraid of this because we have the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have the spirit of God who is so much stronger than any force of evil. Paul tells us directly in Romans 8, there is nothing in all of creation, not even angels nor demons that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So for believers who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we are not afraid that a demon might take control of us. We have the spirit of God himself as the guarantee of our inheritance. Yet, we should not be flippant about the existence of spiritual warfare. It is something that Jesus deals with here, and it is something that Paul warns us about as well. This is an intense scene. This man with an unclean spirit coming in, seemingly yelling at this teacher with authority, But again, as Christians, there's no need to fear this story, but look at how this goes down. The spirit comes in, he shouts, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And he uses the name Jesus of Nazareth because if he can use Jesus's name, maybe he might gain an advantage over him. That's what was believed in this uh, at this time, is that if you could use the name of a spirit, you could get control over it. But I think this spirit realized very quickly using the name Jesus of Nazareth did not give him power over Jesus of Nazareth. He says, what have you to do with us? Which is really a colloquial way of saying, mind your own business. What, what, is, what, is, what do I have to do with you is what's going on here. And, and he's saying, get away from us. The demon uses the plural here. Is he speaking on behalf of himself and the man? I think more accurately, he's speaking on behalf of all demons. What do you have to do with us, workers of darkness? Have you come to destroy us? He's afraid. He's meeting his match. And so he then doesn't just call him Jesus of Nazareth, he calls him the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. At this point, Jesus says, Be silent. He's had enough. He does this out of compassion for the man who is possessed. And he also does it because he does not want his title, the Holy One of God, which actually we don't find anywhere else. He's the Holy One of Israel. He is the Son of God. But this is a unique title. But Jesus does not want this knowledge of who he is getting out. So he says, be quiet. And guess what the demon has to do? The demon doesn't want to, and we see that because he resists. He convulses the man, and then he cries out with a loud cry, but then he has to because the word of God has spoken. He has to come out, and so he comes out. Imagine sitting there in the synagogue, listening to this teaching, turning and watching this happen. Mark tells us the reaction. They were astonished. They were blown away, and they started disputing among themselves who this might be. Who is this man? Is he the Messiah? Is he another prophet? They've never seen anything like this. Even the evil spirits obey his commands. We know that Jesus is about the work of the kingdom of God. What does this have to do with the kingdom of God? What it illustrates for you and for me is that Jesus is growing the kingdom of God now by pushing back darkness. But also, this is a glimpse of the full kingdom of God when it has come. Jesus will cast out all darkness. He will cast out all evil on that last day when his kingdom has fully come and they will flee and they will be punished in eternal torment. Where does Jesus Jesus get this power? You can't get it from the store. You can't get it from being in the synagogue under the best teaching for your whole life. Is it a moment of superhuman strength where he sets aside his humanity and he puts on his divine suit? No, that's a heresy. Instead, what's going on here, Mark has been setting us up. This Jesus, who is 100% man all the time and 100% God, this man... Mark is setting us up because John the Baptist earlier in chapter one says, I baptize with water, but there's one who's coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is one who is in league with the Holy Spirit of God himself. And then the Holy Spirit descends on him at his baptism. And then directly in Matthew, Jesus says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus has done this by the power of the Spirit of God. And so we see in this moment, it's actually a Trinitarian action. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are always working together. They never work against each other. As they create, as they work redemption, as we grow in sanctification, and in the new kingdom that, God will, that Jesus will usher in, all three of them are working together. And in casting out demons, we see once again God working together as the Trinity. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Right here, under their noses, and so many don't see it. So many don't know yet. But it would make sense that the fame would start spreading, and so it does. Word spreads around all of Galilee about this new man who teaches with authority, who can even cast out evil spirits with his words. They didn't even need social media for word to spread And yes, Jesus is a healer. Yes, he is a great teacher. Yes, he does cast out demons. But we're about to see that he's so much more than that. And Mark is setting us up to see he's not just a good teacher. And he's not just a worker of miracles. So that's scene one. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching with authority, powerful teachings about the kingdom of God. He's instructing in truth. He has authority over even the evil spirits by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's move now into the second scene where Jesus is at the house. You'll remember last week, Jesus had gathered Simon and Andrew, James and John, his first four disciples. And apparently Simon and Andrew are from Capernaum. So they go to Capernaum, or excuse me, to Simon and Andrew's house while they're here in Capernaum after he teaches in the synagogue. And this story is quite different. The last scene was public in the synagogue teaching with authority jesus's words a dramatic scene this one is everything but that there's no audience it's private it's much more quiet jesus doesn't say a thing mark is very clearly contrasting the way that jesus works this story could not have been it could not have been told by anyone except a close confidant, which gives us further reason to think that Peter is indeed the one telling Mark um, his, his accounts of what happened in the life of Jesus. And we see Jesus acting not as a show. He's not just trying to gather a following, but he acts out of compassion for his people and out of love for his people, whether or not anyone is watching. And he comes to where she is. They, they come to him. They know what he can do. And they come to him and say, hey, our... Simon says, hey, my, my mother-in-law is, my mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. And so Jesus comes to her. And look at what he, it says in verse 31. And took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. That's it. That's the drama. Quite different. But it's not inconsistent with who our teacher is, with who our Savior is, with who this Messiah is. And Mark tells us how complete this healing was by telling us here the last phrase, she began to serve them. He's describing she's the host of the home. She has people in her house. She wants to be serving, but she's so sick that she can't. Yet when Jesus comes in and simply touches her with his hand and lifts her up, she's perfectly well and she gets right back to doing what she wants to do, hosting her guests. (coughs) Why does Jesus do this? Just to show that he has some tricks? No, this hints for us that Jesus is the healer of all things. He's the one who will get rid of all disease. He's the one who will wipe away every tear. He's the one who heals us of our sin. He is the one on the cross who takes away all our imperfections. We see here in these actions what is coming full restoration in the new creation where the kingdom of God has been ushered in. But we also see a humble Savior who says, there's no problem too small for me. There's no problem too big for Jesus. Come to him. Lay your cares before him who is able to take care of them. We run with our problems to the wrong places all the time and those places we go can't help us. Our friends, our complaining, our anger, taking our problems to these places fixes nothing. Let's run to our Savior who cares. You're never in the wrong place or in the wrong location where you can't cry out to our God. You're never too far gone and come to him in your weakness. So often we want to say, let me just figure it out first. Let me make sure I'm clean enough to come to Jesus. But it is, if Jesus had any aversion to being around sinners, he would not have come as he was incarnate as one of us. He came to be with us as we are weak. So come as you are to the savior but just remember, he doesn't want us to leave the way we came. He wants us to come changed by the compassion that he gives us, that he shows us. So there's seen two, but what we need to do is now look at this conclusion that will help us look behind the layers of these stories to figure out who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Understanding Jesus here, part three. So after the sun goes down, this is important. Mark actually says it twice. That evening at sundown, he doesn't need to say evening and sundown, but he chose to say both. I think what he's emphasizing here is, well, the Sabbath is now over. And what do the people do? There's the post Sabbath rush. They hear about this guy who can heal, And now they're allowed, now that the Sabbath has ended, they're allowed to bring their friends and those who are sick to Jesus. So they line up at the door from all over the city with various sicknesses and unclean spirits. And one commentator says, Jesus was not a specialist. He couldn't just do this kind of demon or that kind of sickness. They brought all kinds of sicknesses and unclean spirits to Jesus. He has real authority over all kinds of impurities and diseases, every unclean spirit, not just one. And we're going to see that he's continuing to push back darkness as the kingdom of God advances on the world. We also see that his compassion doesn't end. He's 100% man. He got sleepy. And here, the sun goes down. He's had a long day teaching in the synagogue and the whole city lines up at the door and he heals many, and he casts out many demons late into the night maybe he was a night owl but still look at the way that he gave and gave and gave in our next passage next week we tell we mark tells us he got up very early that next morning out of concern for his people and he says whoever comes to me i will never cast out that's our savior And with all these demons who were cast out, Jesus gave a command. The most puzzling part of our entire passage today is this last phrase. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, so his fame is spreading throughout all the region. But Jesus doesn't want the demons to speak because they knew him. This means the demons actually knew something about Jesus that all the fame was not circulating. They know he's the Holy One of God. They... As spiritual beings know that this is a spiritual force to be reckoned with. And so Jesus tells them be quiet. You can't talk yet. And we wonder why. If Jesus is all about proclaiming the kingdom of God, why not let the news get out no matter who says it? Well, if anything that it, that shows that you and I are hasty, we want quick results. Let's just get the news out there and get things over with. But actually, Jesus has a longer-term purpose in mind. But why silence the demons in particular? Let Let me give a few reasons here. First of all, Isaiah 42 talks about the suffering servant who's not going to be known. He's not going to be crying aloud in the streets who he is. He will not cry aloud. His voice will not be heard in the streets until he has proclaimed justice to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles hope in him, and he brings justice to victory. Jesus is waiting for the right moment once he can proclaim this to the Gentiles. And the good Christian answer is well, why didn't he let the demon speak now? Well, because God has his plan. God is sovereign. And that is absolutely right. But his plan in particular wants to reveal Jesus' identity in Jerusalem and in Galilee little by little. And here are some potential reasons why. First of all, he does want the good news to be shared. Specifically, he wants the good news to be shared. At this point, if the word got out, this would be a very incomplete gospel, especially if the demons are the ones speaking it because they're not gonna speak to the glory of God. If word were to get out now, That this Messiah has come, well, then all the expectations of a military king, people would start fearing. Is he going to overthrow Rome? Rome's going to catch wind, and Rome could come in and squash the whole enterprise. If the word gets out now. Also, at a deeper level, Jesus needs to train his disciples. Who's going to be the leaders of the church at this point? He's just met four guys recently. Who's going to pass on that, that knowledge? And if the word got out now, he would just be a good teacher. We wouldn't know him as the word of God incarnate. If word got out now, he would just be another healer, and not the one who heals all sickness, wipes away every tear and cleanses all sin. He would not, excuse me, he would be just, if the word got out now, he would just be the guy who could cast out a demon or two on occasion. He would not be known as the one who conquered Satan himself and all forces of darkness. If word got out now, he might be the guy who worked the crowd, gathered a following, and was just a flash in the pan. Yet, if we wait till God has fully revealed who Jesus is, we see him as a suffering servant, rejected by his closest companions, mocked and killed, yet loving his people to the end. That's why Jesus wanted to wait. Because he had a message that he wanted to make sure was clearly communicated. And also, I'd much rather hear about Jesus from Jesus than from a demon. And Jesus gives us that opportunity. He becomes the one who teaches. He becomes the one who guides his disciples and brings them to understand these spiritual things, taking them deeper and deeper into understanding the things of God. After all, he was the one who just taught with authority, He's the one we want to sit under. And it's only once he is lifted up on the cross, only once his blood is poured out for his people, do we get a full picture of who he is. And so you and I follow Jesus because of his humility. You and I follow Jesus because of his compassion. We follow him as a sufferer, mocked, beaten and killed. And we've not seen all these things play out yet. So Jesus says, wait, don't talk about me yet. He has a mission. And he wants to make sure it is complete. And once we follow him as such, as the one who is killed, then we can follow him as the victor, who rose from the dead, triumphant over Satan and evil and sin and death. So, what does that mean for us? Let's learn from Jesus, let's be students of his word and of his teaching. Remember that the very word that we hold, Jesus said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is going to come and help you remember all the things that I have said so that they might be written down accurately so that we might possess them and read them. And let's be a student of his word patiently. Our culture has lost the value of patient character formation, patient acquiring of knowledge and understanding, and when Jesus walks with us through the valleys of the shadow of death, we understand him in a whole new way than if we are told he walks through us in the valley of the shadow of death. Our church vision here at Christ Presbyterian Church is in part this. It says we want to be a faithful church that for generations will gather God's people in Kent, grow together in holiness and a love for truth and worship. I hope every church has that mission. We'd be faithful for generations. This is long haul. Slowly learning under Jesus's teaching by the power of the Spirit. So the last thing I ask us is this. As Mark asked, as Mark tells us, Jesus asked Peter later, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Just a good teacher? The leader of the new movement that is exciting? Is he just a healer who can fix some of your problems? Or do you come to him humbly and say, speak Lord, I need to learn. Speak Lord so that my misconceptions of who you are fade away. Speak Lord when I think I'm right. Speak Lord when I'm beaten down and weary from the journey. Speak Lord now in my sin and in my weakness. Speak, Lord, so I can know you more. And he teaches us and he guides us out of compassion as the powerful, almighty Messiah, Son of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you once again for loving us enough that you've given us your words so that we might know you. Would we be patient learners who sit under Christ's teaching and grow with each other for the good of your church and for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.